Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the podcast. Back again with Chris and Mike. Hi Chris, how are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Uh, interesting day, looking forward to getting into it uh, tonight. And welcome back on the pod, Mike. Alright guys, how are you doing? Yeah, like Chris says, what an interesting day. Was It's been quite a week. Um, it's very rare where I'm insist several times for you to read the agenda because um we haven't had agenda this thick um, for quite a while um and it's been quite a hectic week let alone and we're going to go back to the Wrexham game in terms of games to cover don't worry we're not going to spend much time on these games um, because there's a lot of off the pitch things to talk about but yeah there's also the supporters parliament this week as well also a few things come from that um I shared a story about a a group that were interested in taking over Shrewsbury Town um, so yeah, plenty of things for us to get into. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Dan can't join us, um, and this is three of us. So yeah, let's jump straight into it. So since we were last all together, we've had three games to talk about, and you know the small matter of a, a head coach being sacked as well. So plenty to talk about tonight. You look back at those three games at a 1-0 defeat at home to Wrexham in the FA Cup, another 1-0 defeat at home to Stevenage in what was a a pretty poor game of football, and then a 2-1 defeat this weekend away at Peterborough. Uh, So, yeah, three defeats. Just that's really ratcheted up the pressure on everyone at the club and the management team. And obviously that's uh, that's ended with uh, Taylor's departure. So, yeah, lots to talk about tonight. What do you think, guys, when you look back on those three games, you know, let's, especially the Wrexham game, I suppose we all were desperate to do well in that one. So massively disappointing, wasn't it, to go out to them? Yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> you could probably have predicted it, I think. Um, the Wrexham game was probably, performance-wise, was probably the highlight of the three. I thought we competed. We looked up for it a bit. But, you know, typical, same old failings, creating chances, can't take, can't take one of them, can't score a goal and, and give away a sloppy goal, a deflected goal. It was heartbreaking. It was disappointing. It had to happen against Wrexham, but you know, any promise showed there. It soon frittered away in the Stevenage and Peterborough games. We were reverted to type. It was direct. It was, it was truly tailable. You know, really boring stuff. Um, showed no passion, no energy, and and I'm not surprised that he's had the boot. I think it. it I think it's um it's been coming. I think it's overdue. Um, we'll get into Taylor later on, but I just think um, what, why we didn't sack him after the Wrexham game, I don't know. You know, we've wasted two more games, we've wasted two more weeks. Um, and I hope that doesn't come back to bite us, really. But yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount to say about those games that you couldn't have copy and pasted from our reviews of games in previous weeks. Um, it wasn't a huge change, apart from, like you say, we looked a little bit more up for it against Wrexham, but that might have just been the atmosphere of the day. You know, I don't think the manager particularly did much, had much to do with that, really, because um, he couldn't replicate it in the following league games, which arrived to be more important, I would say. Um, oh, any, any lasting thoughts on those? Yeah, I'd say the Wrexham was disappointing, wasn't it? We did create chances, um, but we didn't score. So, yeah, obviously there's um, those there's the Perry chances, the Shabawali chances, but you don't take them. Um, Wrexham didn't look great. Um, no. I was expecting more from them, for, to be honest. You hear about how much money they're spending. Um, I think it's fair to say that they would need to invest heavily and quite mm. change that squad if it was going to compete at the top of League One. Obviously, that was a one-off game. Um, they lost to Newport County on the weekend. So I imagine, um, you know, most sensible Wrexham fans would probably appreciate they'd need to recruit again um, to go up. Um, they seem to be paying maybe a little bit more for players um, to come down um, than maybe is necessary. So it'd be interesting to see how they got on. Another thing maybe we're talking about, obviously the Wrexham game was 
had a bit of an um, effect and a bit of an after effect and a bit of a shadow in terms of naughty um, naughty boy Tom Flanagan who was on Beauty Shropshire. Um, I think it's fair to say just saying a few home truths. To be honest, I, I listened. I didn't. I could not listen to the radio <laughs> after the way after the game, um, and I listened to something else. But then I did listen back to what he said, and basically there's two things that really stood out for me. Is one is he said you can't expect players to, um, from level two in Ireland to form the league one straight away. I mean, he says we don't pass or keep the ball, and often you see the players' backs um, numbers numbers on their backs when you when you when you, when he looks up um, in the back line. Yeah. It's damning stuff, isn't it, from a current player? To yeah. Say that about and he talks about players game. arguing about passing football and stuff in yeah. the dressing room. Just shows how dysfunctional and how um, how sort of broken we were behind the scenes, I think, under Taylor. You know, you've got a, a, a senior player in the squad, somebody that you would look at as a leader and a, and a, and a first-teamer to start every week. And he's sort of calling out the manager on the co-coms on a match that the manager's managing while he's doing it. It's... It, but he, nothing he said was wrong. You know, those players that have come from the League of Ireland, they don't look ready to play League One football and they're miles off it. You know, we don't pass the ball, we don't keep the ball. And you can you can imagine that's very frustrating for footballers who want to play football. I don't think anybody gets into football to play long ball and to play, you know, really percentages football. And, you know, the, the point about seeing the numbers on the players back, he's calling out a few of his teammates for, for, for hiding from the ball, from running away from it instead of showing for it. And, you know, like I say, Unfortunately, again, even being called out by your teammate, it doesn't seem to have made a difference to the team. They didn't play with, they didn't really put in a performance against Stevenage. And the first half against Peterborough was all right, I guess. But I think, I think we as as a fan base collectively need to have a look at what we accept as acceptable because I think our standards have dropped so low that turning up and trying a bit appears to be something we 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 call a good performance, something to build on. But it never is. It's just it's the very basics you expect from footballers to turn and run around. Um, so the, the first half against Peterborough, I don't think showed us anything that we should get excited about because we still didn't, you know, do that much. Yeah, we scored a goal, but it, it didn't amount to anything, did it? So yeah, I'm not Flanagan. I'm not surprised by his comments. I, well, I'm just surprised that he made them in public, I suppose. Um, as a as a former press man, Chris, were you surprised by him sort of coming out and almost calling out the manager in in co-coms? Is that something that would happen? Well, I mean, is it something that would happen? Apparently, yes, because it did happen. But, well, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought, I'll, I'll be honest and say I thought it was poor. It's great as a supporter to listen to and enjoy those comments and think, my God, that's interesting. But he shouldn't be doing it, should he? You know, in any profession, you know, the people you work with, if your colleagues were publicly talking about your work like that, I just don't, I don't think that's on. I don't think he should have done it. And it's not like it was the first time. You know, a couple of weeks earlier, he'd been making provocative comments about Wrexham and, to an extent, they came back to bite us in the bum to the extent that after they won that game, Elliot Lee was on television talking about it and thanking Tom Flanagan for the motivation. So I, I just think, I think he shouldn't have done it, but whether his, and I suspect he knows he shouldn't have done it and he still went ahead and did it anyway. So whether his end game was the result that we've had today, whether this was the start of player power exerting itself to have, to, to try and check, uh, bring about change in the management structure, I don't know, but it's, Tom Flanagan's always come across as an articulate, intelligent guy, and I would be surprised that it's him who'd be the one to come out and do that. So I, it, it, it feels to me like it must have been calculated, and well, yeah, it's definitely had an expectation about why he was doing it. But yeah, I did feel yeah. that it's you know it's unprofessional. You know, I don't think anybody could argue with that. I, I suspect Tom Flanagan wouldn't argue with that. He must know that's not a professional way to conduct yourself. But yeah. It, it was it's fact it was no doubt it was interesting uh it, it certainly cast a, a new light on what's going on behind the scenes and certainly gave the impression didn't it that all was certainly not well and maybe it was less well than we even realized 
Yeah, and then I guess maybe just two other things that have come out obviously in, in recent in the recent week. Um, was one is um, Bloxham um, has come back from um, loan on Morecambe. Um, I was trying to get a friend of mine um, to come on to do a little bit, but I just ran out of time. Um, I hear his loan form was okay, um, but he was inconsistent in his performances. Didn't score any goals in the league, scored a couple of goals in the League Cup, did a couple of assists. Um, he did okay um, against Peterborough, um, but that's a very low bar. Well, Mr. Mike's comment that our bar is so low. I saw I had a discussion with one fan on Twitter saying that he played, he had a very good performance. Well, if that's a very good performance, um, well, we're going to get relegated because we didn't score, we didn't create any goals, Mike. Yeah, and I, I think that's something we were discussing around Mal Benning uh, when we were watching the Stevenage game. In that people sort of say, oh, Benning was our best player, they're only against Wrexham, you know. I think Mal Benning being one of our best players is not, it's not, it's not part of the solution. It's part of the problem that people who are sort of willing, hardworking, but very limited footballers, and let's not forget, everybody was amazed. Everybody amazed we gave him a contract, and he's standing out as the one who's, who's doing the most on the pitch. It doesn't mean he's doing a lot, and it doesn't mean he's going to drag the rest up with him. And I think Bloxham was the same as well. I'm amazed he started Bloxham, frankly. All the noise when he came back was that he was going back out and alone again. Um, so for him to start and play pretty much most of the game and be our, what I would say was our most encouraging of a bad bunch performer. Again, it's just, it's, it's, it shows what, where the levels are. You know, if he can come in and, and play arguably better than Winchester and, you know, Sobawali when he gets on and some of the other players who play in the attacking midfield, Perry, or midfield positions. Perry, yeah. exactly. If he can stand that above Matter, those by Blocks, dropping in from, from, from playing League Two football, what does it say about the rest of them? What have they been doing all season? And, you know, you always go back to the manager with it, but... There's some collective responsibility there as well, I think, for the for the position we find ourselves in and the performances that we're churning out. Um, you know, it, nobody nobody has to kick the ball long. You know, they choose they choose to do that every time they do it, even if they're under instruction. Somebody could play a short pass and try and play some football. It can happen. Um, so yeah, I'm overall frustrated from the three results and unsurprised to see Taylor go. But there's many more problems knocking around than just Matt Taylor, I think. I would say Tom Bloxham was okay. I felt he contributed. Uh... Yeah, I want to see more from him, and I, I think there's more there. And I hope that whoever comes in to run the side now can get that out of him, because now, now that he's played for us, you know, he's not going anywhere else now unless we load him back to Morecambe. So, to me, if he's here, we're going to use him, and he's certainly better than what we've got now. I, I know what you're saying, Mike, about a low bar, but we are where we are, and he's here. So let's let's. I hope we see. I hope we can see more from him. And what I would say is, he looked better than the Tom Bloxham who was here at the end of last season. So I'm, I'm hoping that loan he's had at Morecambe has helped him. He looked to me like he'd progressed a bit. He looked, uh, I mean, he, he's always been a big, strong lad, but he seemed more, he seemed more confident in his own body to me. He seemed, he, physically, he seemed uh, capable and strong, and I was pleased to see that. So I'm not going to claim that he's a world beater, but I would say that a t- Tom Bloxham playing at his best is better than probably some of our other options right now. So short of us pulling out a few uh, rabbits out of the fire in the transfer window in the last few days of the transfer window, then he's going to play football. So yeah, I'm ha- from that perspective, I'm happy to have him back. Could I just, I just want to address something and it's maybe a little bit, I get so frustrated listening to BBC Shropshire. What do you call it? Co-commentator Steve Cross says things which are factually incorrect. And he's telling thousands and thousands of people wrong information all the time. Um, so Tom Bloxham played on the wing for, for, for Morecambe. He played on the right side of a uh, four-three-three, playing as like a winger. Yeah, it, for me, it's, it's. I just find it very frustrating that we keep talking, we keep having people being paid to cover Shrewsbury Town, um, and they're constantly saying things which are incorrect. 
Um, and anyway, that's just a little rant for myself. I find it um, no, very, very frustrating. It's frustrating. Well, if you go back the other week, I was listening to him and he said he, he, he could tell Matt Taylor had a tactical brain. And, and he said, yeah, it's Where the hell has this guy been to think that Steve Cottrell's going to come back when that, remember that press conference at Lincoln when he was really upset because the chairman hadn't spoken to him for three months? Like, on what planet? And he's getting paid to talk about right. Shrewsbury Town and he hasn't got a clue. It's so frustrating. It's yeah. really frustrating. Steve Cottrell's 25 to 1 with the bookies tonight to get the job, by the way. So Probably maybe Steve Cross knows something better. we don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think um, I think moving on, um, so looking at Taylor's reign, um, pretty shambolic, to be honest. Um, so exactly the same points per game as, as Ricketts. Ricketts had 78 games. Taylor had 30. He had uh, Both of them had 1.07. Just for context, um, Cottrell had 1.24, and the the man in the moment, it seems on social media at the moment, Paul Hurst has 1.66, which included obviously the the team that he took over when they were at the bottom. And poor Askey is below one with um, 0.94. The worst thing, obviously, about um, and the thing that's really da damaged um, Taylor's reputation and kind of been a big part, I would say, in terms of him losing his job, um, which is a terrible, terrible thing for him to have to go through. It is not nice, you know, someone's losing their job, especially when it's obviously so public as it is um but we away from home we scored four goals in 14 games that is just beyond shambolic like like so bad it is unbelievable and then mm -hmm. at home we only scored one goal a game um yes peterborough are top of near the top of the table but they we scored 18 they scored like 55 yeah their Great. fans have celebrated over 50 times and we've had 18 um chances to to celebrate a goal in the league which is just Absolutely woeful. Some of those yeah, goals that... are coming batches, Ollie. So three against Fleetwood, yeah. three against Reading. We've actually yeah. of the twenty-eight league games we've played, we failed to score in fifteen of them. You know, that's that's quite it's a thing. Horrendous. That's, that's a more than it's one in utterly... two chance of turning up and not seeing a score at all. And that is that is horrendous on the players. They should be utterly ashamed of themselves for that. Um, and then Taylor and the coaches, because God knows what they've been doing. Mike. Yeah, and and if if you're one of the the proper true hardcore town fans who went to all of those away games and Taylor, the club should mint a medal for you or something to put your hard-earned money into four goals in what is basically over half a season is, you know, it, it's it's unforgivable for the players to to not to not produce more. You know, the money that we pay to watch this team, and you know, th there was somebody put a, a stat on Twitter around the last five seasons and how we score score goals and the performances. You know. We, we do not get value for money as fans at Shrewsbury Town for entertainment, which is fundamentally what sport is, but even just performance and, and giving you something to get behind. You know, it, it's it's such a thin rule and, and under Taylor, it's felt worse than ever, I think. And you saw it, for me, it's always an interesting test. I didn't, I never go down straight away to get a drink, but I went down quite quickly at halftime against Stevenage and I didn't even have to queue to get anything. It yeah. was that, that quiet, it was the stadium. I had heard lots of people saying, if they don't get rid of Taylor, I'm not renewing my season ticket. And when Mickey Moore in the week, which will come to on the fans' parliament, said the price is going to go up for the shit that we're watching, there are a lot well, of people Liam saying... There must be on another oh, planet. Yeah. We'll, 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 come, we'll come on to sports parliament yeah. later, but well, it's a fair comment. I was going to say, there's a lot of people saying they're not going to renew, and you can see it in the crowd. But also, I think um, it's not just on them getting rid of Taylor. That doesn't, that doesn't turn the tanker. It's who they employ now. You know, you could get, you know, with some of the names in that, you could get a very good feel good from a percentage of the fan base. I know some people hate him from Paul Hurst. Um, or, you know, you could you could get somebody exciting, like people seem to be excited about Michael Duff. 
Um, but if they go for another cheap option, if they get another failed lower league manager, which is what Matt Taylor was, um, then you know you're not going to turn the tide on people when renewals are coming up and, and that sort of things happening. I might be derailing the conversation. Gonna, a bit, no, no, it's you know, fine. No, yeah. it's, it's a great question. It's something I hadn't put in the agenda. There's a lot of lot of lines in the agenda, but actually, this is a really interesting point. Actually, I was thinking about earlier. What kind of manager do we need right now? We need a motivator because we are we we've left ourselves with not enough time to significantly change the squad in January. I don't think. I don't think we're going to make more than. If you get a new manager in tomorrow, he's going to make two or three signings, I think. You need a guy who can come in and get the most out of the existing resources, which is pretty lean, I think. But you've got to get somebody who can get us four more wins. You know, we're not a million miles off safety. It's not, it's not huge, but you've, you've got to get somebody who can get in and get some, motiva- some motivation, some momentum. And do you know what? If you brought in a Steve Cotter, he doesn't actually turn us into an attacking football team. It just makes us harder to beat. And more competitive. We're not even. We're not fun, for me. For me, the 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 thing that I we need, and the reason why I'm I'm kind of going on the side of having an experienced manager, is we need someone come in and get some basics into this team yeah. really quickly. Change them. Like I think motivation is a huge part, probably the biggest part. But then also um, someone who can just put instill some basics. Chris, what's your what's your thoughts on this this question? The complication, isn't it, is around our structure, and there's lots, you know, there's lots of talk about Paul Hurst being the clear favourite for the job. Will he work under a director of football, etc.? But taking that aside, then yeah, I agree. We probably at the moment need somebody who can come in and hit the ground running. And you want someone that the players can look at and go, okay, you know what you're talking about, you know what you're doing. What you don't want is somebody who has to come in and win the players over, and you know, because we need results now. We haven't got time really for that. They haven't got a pre-season to work on it and get to know each other. I suppose I'm attracted to somebody like Hurst because we've seen him do it before. Everyone talks about the great season in 1718, but almost, well, just as impressive for me is the job he did when he arrived here in November of 2016. And we were more shambolic than we are now, I would argue, much more shambolic, in fact. And he came in, took and transformed that squad. And even before he was able to bring in his own players, was starting to get better results out of the meagre resources he had at his disposal. So I look at him as having done that for us. And I suppose I believe he could do it again. He's not been brilliant elsewhere since he left us, although he has still got another promotion on his CV, by the way, in the time since he's left us. But uh, sometimes managers just suit a club. And there was, for, uh, for eight, I've never known a manager be at our club for 18 months and basically not put a foot wrong. You know, it was 18 months of absolute, uh, well, I'm not going to say champagne football, but it was 18 months of success, wasn't it? He took Winning. It from almost certain relegation to clear safety and then on to almost promotion again. So what he did for this club was amazing. And that makes and it makes me feel it, the idea of having him back is still attractive to me. So for me, that's the kind of person we want. There's talk of Duff at the moment. Uh, he's on our list to talk about. I'm sure Michael Duff, the attraction is obvious, isn't it? In that Mike, he's worked with more. And if more sticking around, then maybe somebody like Duff would, would come, potentially come. Duff's a fantastic manager, did brilliantly for Cheltenham, brilliantly for Barnsley. It hasn't worked out for him at Swansea, but I don't think that one uh, uh, struggle on his CV, I suppose, ruins his reputation yet. And to the extent that I think it's probably unlikely we get him, I look at Duff and think he's probably going to hang around for a bigger club than us. Yeah. There's other League One managers under pressure right now. Before we, before you 
arrive when I was just talking to Ollie at the start, Mike, before we started recording. I was saying Michael Appleton at Charlton is allegedly under heavy pressure. And you know, if you're Duff, a club like Charlton is obviously a much bigger club than Shrewsbury Town, and I think he'd be right in the frame for a job like that. So I think it's unrealistic of us to get him, but I might be proved wrong. So, But those are the two names that are currently in the hat, isn't there? And frankly, I'd be happy with either of them. Yeah, and it's worth noting there's a lot of there's been a lot of change this season in terms of managers. So Oxford, Lincoln, Bristol, Cambridge, Burton, Charlton, now Shrewsbury, Cheltenham, and Fleetwood twice have changed their managers or head coaches. And so there's a lot of churn and going on at the moment. Um, but if I go take us back um, to the summer, um, and we also want to talk about Taylor and you know how much I don't know blame or you know, how much responsibility should rest on his shoulders. I mean, I think it's important that we maybe shine a light a little bit on the director of football because can you remember when we, obviously we had a, a very slow summer, didn't we? We had we had Steve Cottrell leave. Then we had weeks and weeks and weeks of no news. Then we had, luckily because of John Palmer, we had a lot of, we heard that we were after a director of football. Then we got a director of football and then we thought, okay, he's going to get cracking now. And he didn't. It took him, what, three, four weeks to choose um, Matt Taylor? And then Matt Taylor had a matter of days to prepare for pre-season. And I think it's worth just calling that period out. It took took the club too long to, to get a director of football in. It took the director of football too long to get Matt Taylor in, which then they gave him a matter of days to um, to get to get the, the team ready and, and you know talk to his staff about pre-season. I mean, we didn't really, like our pre-season wasn't extensive, was it either? I don't think we played. We have played no. three or four games. Well, I heard a rumour that Matt Taylor would have liked to have brought them in weeks earlier than, yeah. it, than it was. So we, we, we left it late. We came in undercooked. We didn't recruit properly. We had a manager who and he just got through the door. And that's, you know, we won off those first three. Do you remember the first three games we won against Burton, Cheltenham and Fleetwood, wasn't it, I think, or something like that? And we all thought we were on to a winner here, but it turns out they were just crap and we were just, we, we got a bit of momentum going early doors. But... You look back at it and you just think we were undercooked, we were under seasons, we weren't ready, the plan wasn't in place. We dragged classic Shrewsbury Town, we drag our heels. We've done it in this window, we've done no business. We're just wasting our time chasing this kid from Wolves and this kid from Palace, and we probably won't get either of them. It just it, it, it sort of rolls back to the way Roland does business, but yeah, Mickey Moore doesn't seem that much more proactive, does he? When you, when you look back at it, it's um, yeah, it's dither and delay, isn't it? Again. The bit that upset me as well, I suppose, about Moore's approach in the summer, it was very jobs for the boys. That's what it felt like to me. And I felt sorry for Taylor that he had an assistant imposed on him who was literally his boss's best mate in Marcus Bignett. And obviously Bignett's also gone today, which I think surprised some people, but I, I think it's the right decision. But he went, but it wasn't just him, was it? We also brought Tom Ware in from Cheltenham as head of recruitment. These are big jobs. And having spent three weeks looking around to appoint a head coach, Mickey Moore suddenly out of nowhere is plucking in his mates to fill these other jobs very, very quickly. And that just felt weird to me. And I think it's fair to say that, well, the question for fans and to think about was bringing um, Bignett in Moore's biggest mistake. Like he's got a long-term history with Big Big, Big Nut. He's clearly his mate because they've worked together at various other clubs and over the years. But on what planet does he think it's an acceptable or a, is he thinking about Shrewsbury Town or is he just thinking about himself and picking his mate? Because he's picked his mate as the person below him assistant. And Mm. I also just wonder, does, does, does Matt Taylor regret accepting the director of football's well, best mate as, more, as his assistant yeah. coach. That's more my question. Why has Taylor said yes to that? I mean, he's also sacked his best mate today. Let's not forget that's actually happened as well. But 
it, it, like the point about jobs for the boys and, and, and Mickey Moore, looking at Mickey Moore, and he's got his own head of recruitment in, who's his mate from Cheltenham, and Mickey Moore's there. And you, you're led to believe that the division of labour in the structure is Matt Taylor does the coaching and, and puts the team out on a Saturday and makes the substitutions. And Mickey Moore does the recruitment and the football side and sets up the football structures. Now, of the players that Mickey Moore has brought in as, you know, with his head of recruitment, have any of them been any good? Shraha has been all right. And Perry's maybe done okay. But none of them have really set. None of them have been. None of them been excellent. You wouldn't put them in your top three performance this so far this season, would you? No, I would say Sraha is the exception, and he showed he showed a bit in it. You know, but he hasn't played the full season. But when he's played, he's looked decent. I, I, I do like him. But the rest of them, they've either not lived up to what you thought they'd be. You know, Feeney, he's come as a as a promotion winning sort of former captain centre off. I don't think he's been any good. Um, all the Elliot Bennett was a last ditch. Signing when Steve Cottrell didn't he's released by Steve Cottrell. Yeah. Um Bowman was released by apparently yeah, Bowman was was rumoured to have been released by Steve Cottrell and he was brought back as well. Yeah. It's a good job we we glossed over the Peter again because Max Matter. Good grief. I mean the guy. He did all right against Fleetwood against Stevens, didn't he? He did a bit better, but against Fleetwood, um, yeah, he was pretty um you you asked the question, didn't you, in the second half on my WhatsApp group? Mm. What's your view on Max Matter and like Deferi hadn't really had much, but this goes back to coaching. So, like, I remember, I remember, look, I went back and I remember chatting to Callum. I've mentioned this a few times, I think, on the podcast. Bristol Rovers at home on the 16th of October. And I turned to um, to Callum and said, he won't make Christmas. Now, I was wrong, but probably more because of the chairman and Mickey, Mickey Moore were trying to save face and didn't want to get rid of him. Um, it didn't look like he was working back in October. I then tweeted again in the middle of, of November saying like publicly, now I do think we need to have a change. And we're two months, more than two months later. And question to you guys, like, have you seen like any improvement of in any way from this football team over those course of 30 league games? No. So the hard bit there for me is that we've had, I can only think of one good performance all season where I can honestly say I left the ground and thought that was all good. And that was the 1-0 win over Derby where we played yeah. really well. I, I, I deserved I, to win I that football match. Was that a turnaround? But it wasn't, was it? Uh, it oh, it absolutely wasn't, sadly. And it, uh, there's been other moments. There's been get patches of play where we, you know, people talk about the first half at Leeds, which was only the second game of the season or something. We were very good in that first 45 minutes. But, you know, we're, we're in January now and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about one game and a first half and maybe some of our attacking play against Fleetwood. Although even there, we're playing the bottom of the league side and they did have, actually have a fair few chances themselves that day. So there's very few games where I look back and go, yeah, I can. there was hope and I felt confident in this side. And that's that's disappointing. And Matt Taylor's post, the bit that got me with Taylor, because I liked him as a man, and you know, I tweeted saying today and said I feel sorry for him. And I'm always going to feel sorry for a guy who's lost his job. And he seems a decent guy. So you he know, did I seem wish a him really well. good guy. And I just wonder how much he's been let down. There was always, to me, a gap between what he said and what we all saw. and It was never more evident to me than after this Peterborough game, when, again, he was talking about us having long spells of pressure, of dominance in the game. And I was thinking, well, where were those long spells? I would, I would say, I, I didn't see long spells. I would say the last... I would say the last five, ten games or something of the managerial's career, I think you can kind of forget the post-match interviews because it just becomes, you know, we've seen it under every manager. It does get a little bit desperate. And what can they say? They, they can't do, do, you don't want them to go down the Troy Deeney um, kind of angle of blasting the players. And what else do you say? No, so I understand not. what you're saying, Chris. No, but, but 
there was it's it's it, all through the I've thought this earlier in the season, not quite in the same way, but Mike made a comment about standards from the fans. I don't know why I th- so to me I worried sometimes about if Taylor genuinely believed what he was saying, what were his standards? Because there were a number of games where he'd say we were good today. There'd be a game where we've drawn or lost and he'd be saying we were good. And I'd be thinking, I didn't really think that was good. You know, yeah. it might have been okay at best, but I didn't think it was good. And I, I, I don't want him to blast his players. Of course I don't. But equally, I don't want him to send the message to them that, you know, a, a distinctly average performance where we've had two shots on target and somehow straight to nil-nil draw. I think there's a huge divide between what the manager says in the press and what he says behind closed doors. But I think, I think his comments, particularly like, that Chris is calling out now, they completely rob him of all credibility. You can't stand stand out there and say grass is blue and the sky is green because we can tell, we can see it. We're not dominating possession. There was a comment made around we're not we're not playing the free flowing football we were at the start of the season. We don't play free flowing football. There wasn't we haven't any. played free flowing football. That, that was foolish. It's, it's foolish crazy, comments. and and he must have felt like like unless he actually believes it, which would mean he is a complete fantasist. He must feel an idiot saying it. But like you say, Ollie, he hasn't really got anything else to say unless every post match is him going, yeah, we're not good enough. We've got to be better. Hands up, me again. And he guys. did go down that and track, he didn't he? Criticising the, the players. Yeah. yeah. And on the timing, I just want to look at the timing now. So today is the 21st of January. Um, I did hear things last night. I was chatting to you guys. Not enough to necessarily put it out on Twitter because I need to be really confident before I put something on Twitter um, and put my make myself look like a fool, to be honest. Um, that... That Matt Taylor was probably went last night, uh, maybe went this morning. Who knows? It doesn't really matter too much. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is that Mickey Moore in the week said he admitted the football need to be better, and the last game wasn't good enough. But the last game has been the same as we've seen for weeks. So why the hell are we on the twenty first of January with ten game, ten days left for the transfer window, and we're now getting a new manager? So Mickey Moore cocked up the summer. Well, Roland cocked up the summer, taking too long to implement his new style, his new structure. Then Mickey Moore took too long to sign a manager. And now we're on the 21st of January. So if we get a manager tomorrow, which is unlikely, it's going to take another few days. This manager is going to have what, maybe five days to meet the players in, and start his training. And then the we will even if Mickey Moore's even here. And then and then try and sign players. Like the club is absolutely clueless. How can they be making these decisions? It's just, it's just idiotic that we're in this situation with, te- with less than ten games, ten days to go, and now we're trying to sign. And also, what if this manager wants to play a different formation? It's just a shambles. The whole club is an absolute shambles. Yeah, I, and I was on Twitter earlier on, and and um, in a response to the, the to actually to your tweet around Taylor losing his job and stuff, uh, a good friend of mine, Gaz Hopkins, um, tweeted. The text from the, uh, the the board announcement from the summer from Roland about the structure changes. I just read from that. It says, going forward, be assured that management structures and new football strategies are already in place. The rationale for the actions we have taken will become evident in the coming weeks and months. Now, you can only say that all of that work in the summer has, has crumbled to dust in, in less than six months. The, the director of football is employed. You know, he's not impressing anybody. The manager that that director of football employed has lost his job along with the assistant. The squad that we've got isn't good enough. We've missed another window. I mean, you know, name something that's going right, really, at the club. You'd, you'd be hard-pressed. Um, and well, that's we're, the worry. We're badly run. We're... Sorry, Mike. Well, I was going to say, and if you look at the league table, you know, you know, Mickey Moore in the week was saying, God, the, the fans are talking like we're in a relegation scrap. Mickey, we're in a massive relegation scrap because the teams under us have all got games in hand on us. We are, we're plummeting. We're rudderless. We're, you know, Seven losses in eight. We don't score goals. That's the squad 
it ain't going to get that much better in the next five days before the end of the window. Like, and who's going to send? Who wants to send their young kids on loan to Shrewsbury yeah. Town when you've got no idea who the manager's going to be and exactly. we don't score goals? Like the whole whole of whole of football league looks at just you only have to look at the league table to see that we're a shambles. And look at the struggles we're having. We're heavily linked with this guy from Wolves. Everybody's talked about it like it's a done deal. He ain't going anywhere near us. That guy will not play for Shrewsbury Town. This kid from Crystal Palace, who's been, apparently been been come to watch us, so is the guy from Wolves with his mum and dad. It all sound very rosy. Where are they? They're not coming in. They'll, they'll, they'll wait for better options or they'll stay with their clubs because you would be mad to come to this football club, especially if you're a striker, because you don't get no service anyway. If anybody looks at the stats, chances created, balls in the box, quality of deliveries, it's nothing there. You're wasting your time coming to play up front here. Sorry, yeah, I'm a bit angry. Pretty, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty stark. Um, and it all comes down to all comes down to leadership of the club. The club is, yeah. is is very very poorly led at the moment. We're making poor decisions late, which which compounds that decision we make. But this this thing about recruitment as well, and it sits at Moore's door with his head of recruitment. We aren't even linked with anybody. You hear absolutely. No I don't. I don't mind that because I think I'll say you can go back to the Paul Hurst era. There's been times when when me and Glenn, me and Glenn have done the podcast and we don't hear anything and we just sign someone. So I don't mind mm. that too much. But I think maybe your point is more that we haven't signed any. We signed one lad from Ireland, his second level of Ireland, which we can all clearly see is miles off League One. And this kid might miles do really well it. in a few years. But as, as Tom Flanagan would say, you know, and he sees these players train, they're miles off League, uh, League One level. Now, they might turn around, you know, have that Ado-style turnaround after a couple of years. Mm. But we're signing some projects, but we're relying on those projects now, and it, it doesn't mm. seem to be working very well, Chris. No, I mean, recruitment's going to be challenging, isn't it? It's like you say, who even those lone players, if they were ready to sign for us, surely they want to know who's going to be the coach now. You know, if, if we announced Paul Hurst tomorrow or Tuesday, then that would give me some hope. I mean, I rem- we talked about the impact he had when he first came here, and one of his early signings was an 18-year-old from Leeds called Tyler Walker. Uh, Tyler Roberts, sorry. And if you remember, Tyler Roberts scored a few goals and helped us stay up. So maybe the, you know, the, the Fraser or uh, the Adabomi, is, is, is that his name, the Palace lad? You can imagine one of them being actually the kind of player that Hurst might want in his squad. So we, maybe we get to see one of those. I don't know. You know, I think it's, I think Fraser, it heavily depends on if Wolves can sign anybody. But you, you, you can't be gambling all the time and leaving it this late and hoping that other clubs are going to do they talk about this domino effect but there has to be a plan b surely because the dominoes don't always fall as it were so there, there has to be a plan b but if there is they've left it very late because it's we clearly need bodies and the, i agree with mike what mike said as well i don't why would a striker sign for us right now you can sign all the strikers in the world i genuinely believe that erling Haaland would not be prolific if he was in a shrewsbury town shirt because who's giving him the ball he'd have to do it all on his own you know so yes yeah. It's what we again. Maybe a new coach changes that. Maybe a new coach comes in and finds a way to make this team more creative. Because last year, while we weren't exactly champagne football, Steve Cottrell's team created more chances and scored more goals, and a lot of those players are still here. So maybe, maybe, the, maybe and we, we said that was there. boring, and we said yeah. that was boring. And we, we, I remember even saying like the Paul Hurst football wasn't wasn't exactly highly entertaining, and we are so many levels below that now. It's unbelievable. And yes, yeah, Steve Cottrell played defensive counter-attacking football but it was effective and we yeah. won some games and we scored twice as many goals as about um, as well they, this season. and that's the noticeable thing it's like taylor's done cottrell but worse so he, he inherited the modern he played the same way but he he, could, he didn't have a game plan for it and he didn't know how to do that football he came in saying we were going to pass the ball around and stuff and when he didn't have the tools at his disposal, and that's he, he couldn't pivot to a plan b he, he 
he didn't know how to do it. So his plan was just knock it long, play percentages, try and nick it up the pitch and make something happen. And it's so limited. They lost and, confidence. And no I know something it. happened. Yeah. They must have lost confidence because when, when, when Moore came in, it was all about playing good football. And Taylor came in, he was said he was going to play good football as well. And, you know, we're all quite sensible people. If, if we were playing Cottrell-esque football, counter-attacking um, defensive football, but winning games and scoring some goals, you'd you know, you'd be a pragmatic. You're very much pragmatic, Mike. Particularly, you'd live with it. You go, well, one games you can't yeah. argue, Ollie. You, what you're talking about with one games, but yeah. we're not even doing that. So it's boring, um, and, we're, and we're not winning games. And and the the, the thing about Taylor is, his time at Tuesday went completely to the script that the people at Warsaw told us it would. You'll come in. You'll try and implement a method. It won't work. He has absolutely no plan B. He doesn't affect the game with tactics or with substitutions. And it sort of fritters away to nothing. The, the team lose confidence. I read three, four, five tweets from Wolves or fans saying exactly that. That's what he did for us. And this is probably what will happen unless he's developed more skills. And from what he, from what he managed in the time he managed our team, I, I don't think he developed those skills. He still didn't have a plan B. He still didn't know how to make substitutions and change his approach in game to make things different. If it didn't work from minute one, it wasn't going to work at the end of the match, barring some of the miracles we saw where we scored goals out of nothing. But we're not really set pieces to... most of the time. Yeah. It was set pieces. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at, you you go through, I've got a, a spreadsheet in the, uh, well, our defenders are up there in terms, <laughs> in terms of um, goals scored. Uh, well, but the, yeah, we're getting... Uh, I was going to say another thing, just last thing on, on Matt Taylor, the writing was on the wall before Christmas when Shea Dunkley starts popping up up front. We mentioned yeah. it at the time. That, you know, that showed that the guy was, was really sort of gambling in the last chance saloon early doors because when you start chucking centre halves up front you know the game's up really um so he had a, he, he had a few more goes up top dunk didn't he but he never got one up there from open play he got them you know he gets them from corners and stuff doesn't he but yeah he hadn't bagged yet from open play no and here we get to the end then of of matt matt taylor's era um and it's interesting you hear things obviously you know doing a podcast people tell you things you know, single source, you're not necessarily going to like take it as gospel. When you hear a few things and a few more things and over time and you hear that most of the players actually quite apparently quite like Matt Taylor. Um, he was fairly popular. Um, I don't think the same can be said for Big Nut. Um, so I don't think it's too too much of a surprise um, that he went as well. Um, so that kind of cleans the slate in some ways. Um, but yeah, there is, of course, still questions um, to be there um, to have about so Mickey Moore. But we'll do that in the next section. Any final comments on Matt Taylor? Just, yeah, good luck, mate. But yeah, you were just the wrong guy at the wrong time, I think. Uh, yeah, good luck to you. Yeah. that potentially there's that as well. But yeah, fingers crossed, hopefully, maybe heaven who knows what his next role could be. Maybe you go and work for Sam Ricketts. Yeah, in the building trade, yeah. <laughs> Ricketts and um, Taylor's building supplies. Yeah, lovely. No, so yeah, good luck to him. It was it was a difficult um, role, a difficult time in the history of Shrewsbury Town, and I think that's why we need that experienced manager. So yeah, let's look look ahead. Who could be our next manager in the next section? So one, uh, I'm not going to do so. Manager search: Who is going to be our next manager or potentially head coach? Um, so obviously everyone has been talking about all this. I've never had so many rumours about um, a, a potential manager before as we have with Paul Hurst. Um, there was the rumours in the summer that the chairman wanted Paul Hurst, but Grimsby wouldn't let him go and we couldn't afford, I suspect, um, any kind of buyout clauses. So that didn't work. Paul Hurst got sacked by Grimsby after he got them back into League Two. Uh, highest finish in 17 years there, but he ended up leaving. 
Um, interesting to note that Paul has never worked with a director of football. Not one at Grimsby. Wasn't one at Shrewsbury when he came here. Um, wasn't one at Ipswich. Um, so, yeah. So, there's a big question at the moment um, kind of running around the rumour mill of Shrewsbury Town is, can Paul Hurst and Mickey Moore work together with Mickey Moore being the director of football? Because if you remember, obviously, when Paul Hurst was here before, he had a big say in recruitment. Um, so, I'd go, guys, what's your first thoughts on on Mickey Moore, director of football, stroke Paul Hurst? So, all the noise out there and from, you know, we, we hear from people like you say, all the noise out there is that the chairman very much would like to see Paul Hurst back at the football club, possibly has already spoken to him or is doing so over the next 24 hours. But that Paul Hurst is uncomfortable about the director of football role. That's what we're that's what we're hearing, isn't it? So if that's true, then it puts the chairman in a difficult position. He's got a decision to make. And I suppose there's one of three things he can do. He can back Mickey Moore and look elsewhere for his coach. He can go with Paul Hurst and actually get rid of Mickey Moore. That's probably expensive and would involve him going completely. 360 on the entire whole new structure he'd put in because he'd have totally reversed everything if he did that or I suppose there's a third option where he keeps Mickey Moore but curtails his powers a little bit uh, so that, that Paul Hurst has uh, more say that maybe in how things are done than Matt Taylor has had and gives him and his role is more more closely aligned to what it was when he was here last time around and I suspect it's the recruitment bit that, for me, that would probably be the, the sticking point in that Paul Hurst has always signed, uh, sourced and signed his own players. And I don't think he'd be happy with just operating on a model where a director of football comes to him with a list and says, which of these do you want? So I think he's going to be what... But I don't think that's necessarily impossible. We're told that when Michael Duff arrived at Cheltenham, he and Mickey Moore got together and there was basically a conversation about how can we make this work? I don't think Duff was a head coach in the Taylor mould. I think he had a lot more say at Cheltenham than Taylor has had at Shrewsbury working under Mickey Moore. That's the impression I got. And that's certainly when we spoke to John Palmer on this pod, that was the impression I got as well. So I, I suspect there has been times when Mickey Moore's operated with maybe less authority he's got than he's got right now. Whether he'd be willing to go back to that sort of model, I don't know. But to me, that's the only way I could see Paul Hurst taking the job and working under Mickey Moore if 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 he was more of a more of a manager than just a head coach. What do you think, Mike? Give him the job now. Where is he? I'll drive there and pick him up. Well, there's rumours he's been in Shrewsbury today, Mike, meeting the chairman. We'll go and get. We'll go and pick the shop up. We'll get Toto in the passenger seat. We'll get them all down here. Just like it's. Where's John like, Nolan? Exactly. Where the, Where are they all? You know. Let's give them all a call. But um, the the structure of of director of football and manager, it's not a fixed one thing, is it? You know, Pep Guardiola works as a director of football at Man City. Nobody says that Pep Guardiola is not. Calling and his title's actually manager as well, which is funny. Exactly. You have managers That's working. Kind of what I was trying to say, probably in about a million yeah. more words than I needed to, Mike. But yeah. Um, so there's a structure out there that can work if Roland needs to save face and not nuke his whole project uh, six months into its its life, um, but also get the man in the, the, well, you hear that he wants, that a percentage of the fan base want. Not all of them. You know, we have to reflect those people that will never forgive um, the, 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 the sort of the, the great, um, I can't think of the word now, what is it? The the great betrayal. That's what we call it. Yeah. When he, when he jumps you. Um but I, I can't see a better fit at the moment for what we need. And the, the point about the structure is broadly relevant. What this club needs now is goals and points or we're going to get relegated. Mickey Moore will not win us a single point on the pitch. He will not score us a goal from his position. We need somebody who can come in and get the players in the, in the, in the 
squad to perform on the pitch. So I don't care if Mickey Moore's put on T-Duty. I really don't care. We need to have a manager in who can get this team, this squad, playing football, doing what we need them to do. They got to, there's got to be a way to make it work. If not with, with Hurst, with a Duff or with somebody else. But we can't but they would have the to work together. But we can't let that director of football role stop stop performance on the football side. I don't disagree. I was just what I, I guess I, I'm setting something up here. But do you know, do Hurst and Moore even know each other? Do we reckon they could work together? What do you think to that, Ollie? Well, I have a very interesting. Like I said, I've been getting a lot of messages um, recently, um, and I got a very very interesting message um, from a fairly reliable source um, that said that Mickey Moore worked as a scout for Paul Hurst when he was at Shrewsbury. Never heard that one before. So interesting. So well, they have worked I, together. Thing is, I don't remember signing any League of Ireland players under Paul. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm not sure whether that's true or not. If, if, you, if Mickey Moore's on his on football managing, that's his special area of speciality, Ireland. Yeah, that's it. Boom. If not, you need to put that in there, actually. Well, he did say at the supporters' parliament that he's the best. He had last season, they were the best um, loan team in the division or something. I think it's quite, a, it's quite a, a stretch, I think. For they must have kept them all fit then, presumably. Yeah. Added to which, we, we joke about his Irish thing, but Mickey Moore's contacts historically were in the Midlands. And I, you know, I mentioned Tyler Roberts, one of Hurst's first signings just now. And I was thinking when I said Leeds, I was wrong there. He, he's obviously gone on to play for Leeds. We had him on loan from West Brom. Now, I have no idea, actually, if Mickey Moore is involved in that, but it's entirely possible. But now, if it, knowing what we know now that he did actually scout for Paul Hurst, it's entirely possible that he was involved or partly responsible for that deal. Who knows? I, I have no evidence either way on that. But, uh, you know... It, he know he he clearly has some idea what he's doing. He has scouted decent players for Cheltenham, and we've mentioned you know Jason Shahar tonight. He can spot a player potentially. So who knows? Maybe Hurst could work with him. I, I would love to. I, with I'm I'm entirely with Mike. I would go. You know, if Mike's going to pick him up, if it's a long drive, I'll go with him. So you know, you drive one way, I'll drive yeah. back. We share yeah, the petrol. I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's fair. Rather is not far away. I, I, I so, don't care about all this betrayal nonsense. Yeah, to, to, and to me, so, that is nonsense. He's a man who left so, us to go and take a bigger job, and good luck to him. And you know, I just don't care. So you don't have to say one name, you can say a couple, but like, who's your preferred manager, Mike? Oh yeah, I haven't really made my mind up. Obviously, it's Paul Hurst. Obviously, it's Paul Hurst. And there aren't really any other names in the because I don't know enough about Michael Duff. I, I hear that he's good, but I've like I can't confidently sit here and say, oh yeah, he'd be a great appointment. The only one I know is Hurst. He's, he needs. We need somebody to take over. One with the doldrums. He's done it before. Why can't he do it again? Chris. Uh, I mean, the, the, the two hot names out there are Hurst and Duff. And to be honest, I'd be relatively happy with either of those. There are bookies' odds out there already on the job, and it's probably nonsense. But you look at some of the names on there, and none of them make me go, "Oh yeah, I wish we could have him." You know, Gareth Ainsworth. I've seen people mentioning him on Twitter, and probably based entirely on that, he's currently fourth favourite. Uh, sorry, third favourite. Interestingly, the odds have dropped, lowered on Hurst even uh, even since we started this pod. He's now four to one on favourite at the moment. That's probably just based on a bit, you know, there's been a bit of money slapped on him. And when you're a small club like Shrewsbury, if probably if I went and stuck 50 quid on Michael Duff, those are he'd become favourite in the next 10 minutes, you know. So I, I wouldn't read too much into that. But Gareth Ainsworth, there's a, there's a name who was obviously successful at this level with Wickham. Michael Flynn's just been sacked from Swindon. He's been linked with Shrewsbury in the past. I've seen people mention him. You know, he's. You could argue he's tarnished now. He didn't do much at Warsley. He didn't do. I much did say one name, didn't I, Mike? Oh, I can give you as many as you want. <laughs> oh, we'll be here all night with Chris's list. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So for me, I would. Paul Hurst would be fantastic. 
I, I don't like going back so much. Um, so I think if Duff could come, Duff has also, I'd say, probably performed at a high level a bit more consistently. Obviously, he did well in League One with Charlton. He did well in one. He did well in League One um, at, at Barnsley as well. Um, so for me, I think I think I'd, I think I'd say Duff's probably number one. But Paul Hurst is a very, very, very close second, and I'd be super happy if he was if he was appointed on Monday. Um, but time is of the essence. They can't be dilly dallying, pissing around um, with this appointment. They need to get it right, and they need to get it made make the decision quickly. Yeah, if Witcherly and Mickey Moore are arguing about this, and you know, if the if if the whole Hurst thing is an issue between them, then you know, Witcherly as the decision maker, I think, has to be decisive. As you say, he can't spend a week dithering about it. We need a manager in. I, I would hope that whoever gets this job is in post before Northampton, and we're not going there with. We we'll need to be Sean in post Parrish by Wednesday minimum. The team, yeah, yeah. And it was interesting, wasn't it? There was no mention of caretaker. In the in the statement, um, it was no, but there was no sure mention one. of Sean Parrish either. So our first team no. coach, as far as I can tell, is still at the club. So that's the manager search. Yeah, I'm always hesitant. As Mike said, there's like hundreds of names of people that probably apply for the job and probably UEFA badge qualified. So we won't go too much into that. Um, let's let's just go into the final section of the podcast. Let's talk about the supporters parliament and some takeover news. Final section of the pod this week. It's going to be a bit of a long one. Um, so first, there was a supporters parliament meeting this week and with a very surprised attendee. I don't think anyone really expected Mickey Moore to turn up. Um, so yeah, Chris, and for those who didn't go, the video is available online, but it is quite long. In like a couple of um, couple of short points, sum up the supporters parliament for those who didn't go. Yeah, sadly, I didn't go either. I couldn't make it on the night because I was sat next to a swimming pool with my children, but I followed it closely on social media. And a shout out to Andy Garden, proud Salopian, who live tweeted the whole thing and did a fantastic job, actually. I felt like I was there. So, Andy, if you're listening to this, thanks very much because it was very useful to me on the night. So some themes that came out of the supporters parliament, I would say, uh, you know, it started with a section of uh, Liam Dooley and I suppose some of the business stuff came out from our chief executive and the standout for me on that bit that, that really caught my attention was when he talked about uh, season tickets and he made a comment that uh, realistically season ticket prices would go up next season. He thought it was unrealistic of supporters to think they wouldn't. He talked about the current rates of inflation and said that season tickets would go up. So, uh, we can come back to that in a minute, but I'll just go through some other themes as well that came up. But certainly that one got my heckles up and I, I will probably have thoughts on that to share. And then we had Mickey Moore, who talked about all sorts on the night. And as you said, uh, Ollie, credit to him because he must have known he was in for a rough ride. Probably didn't have to be there, but he was there and he, and he was willing to stick his head above the parapet and answer some pretty tough questions. So fair play to him for that. He talked about the transfer window, talked about how challenging it's been. He talked about Nathan Fraser and Adi Adamboni, I think whatever his name is, the lad from Palace. And he felt that he, there was still a good chance of getting one or both of those. We Obviously, that was a few days ago. We're still waiting. Uh, he talked about, he criticised the supporters a little bit. He said about um, supporters acting like we were already in the relegation zone. And he pointed out that if we'd beaten Stevenage, we'd have been 13th in the table. That's all well and good. We were 13th in the table at halftime on Saturday against Peterborough, but we were 19th by the end of the game, Nicky. 
So, uh, yeah, that was uh, an interesting comment that came out. He did admit that the football needed to be better, and he said the last game against Stevenage was not good enough. Those were his words. That game was not good enough. So, yeah, you covered that to an extent already, Ollie, talking about, uh, you know, maybe you could say that about several of our games this season. But an interesting night, and I think, uh, you know, insightful and quite a few supporters stuck around, I think, after it had finished as well. And again, credit to Mickey. It looks like he was happy to carry on and have conversations with people at the end of the fans forum probably shared a few more things transfer related and whatnot that uh, maybe he didn't say during the main session, but there were comments. I believe he was asked about Jack Price and, you know, he, I think there's an impression that maybe the rumours linking us to Jack Price are more true than people maybe even realised and that like, there's a good chance that could yet happen. So that's definitely... He's been following me on Twitter on. for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> It's one to keep an eye on, and that's one that doesn't yeah. have to be concluded by the end of the transfer window because no, Jack Price is an, is an unattached footballer, so we, we don't have to sign him by the 31st of January. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's th those were probably some of the key things. So, yes. Uh, and then, oh, sorry, I should also mention the takeover talk as well. Liam Dooley, as well as season tickets, did also talk about takeovers, and he made the statement that they were the club were currently talking to two potential uh, investors in the club. And he also stated that uh, the chairman was keen to sell to somebody with local values. You know, I thought oh, we're a local club for local people, apparently. Uh, for those of you who get the reference, it did make me feel a little bit Royston Vasey about us. But yeah, local local values is what he's after. So maybe all these talk of Scandinavians, you know, they're just not enough Shropshire for Roland. But uh, anyway, those were probably the key themes. Two allegedly interested parties talking to the club at the moment. We'll see. We've heard that kind of thing in the past, but... We are we we keep waiting, but you know clearly the club does need investment if it's ever going to have any ambition to be higher than a struggling League One club. Yeah, the one that the couple of things obviously came out, and we've obviously the manager's gone now, the head coach has gone, and a few other things. But the one that kind of irked me quite a bit was um, Liam Dooley saying that season ticket prices need to go up. Yes, um, I think in normal circumstances we kind of live with that. Yeah, inflation, whatever. You know, we all know about that. But the club needs to be really transparent about what happened last year with the finances. Let's be clear, Roland Witchley is the chairman of this football club. He is responsible and accountable for this club. Now, this increase in season ticket um, um, sales, or prices, is that going to fund the club? Is it going towards wages? Or is it going to pay Roland back for the money he's had to put in the club because, because the club has been really poorly run for the last 18 months? And I think the club needs to be really, really clear on how much the club lost well, how much the club have put in, and, and what's going to what's going to go half forward, Mike? Yeah, and uh, when Chris mentioned that from the um, from the Sports Parliament, I quickly, while you were talking, went and looked where we rank on the the cost of season tickets in League One. The three different websites I just went on there, you know, they're all different places. They said we're the most expensive, cheapest season ticket, taking out early bird and taking out everything else. Four seven five is a season ticket it should be paying for an adult, and it's more expensive than all the other teams in League One. So we're already expensive if you don't get it on an early bird or whatever. You know, if you're not, if you're not, oh, the inflation in recent years, Chris, stuff. because you were yeah, so I did. So I, I, I do also think that uh, Liam Doody, when he talks about prices needing to go up, needs to bear in mind what's already happened in the last couple of years. So I do buy on early bird. And two years ago, the season ticket for me and my son, because my son comes with me, he's now eight years old. So he was six years old when I got his first season ticket. It was £315 for the two of us to come to watch Shrewsbury Town every home game. 
This season, for the two of us again, £390, a £75 increase in two seasons. That's 23.8% increase in two years. That is where even a given current times and how and the cost of living pressures and the way inflation has been, 23.8% over two years is way above average. So we have had two back-to-back quite hefty increases in season ticket prices. And on the back of what has been a pretty poor and turgid season, I would be pretty cross, to be honest, to see uh, increases on that scale again. You know, if, if they must squeeze it up a fiver or a tenner, I'll, I guess I'll swallow it. But if I start seeing 30 or 40 quid being pumped onto my season ticket price again, I'd feel a bit cross about that. I just think that's taking the mick, given the product we've we've had to pay for this year. That's the that's the point that me and Mike, I think we're both going to say, the product, mm. the product that we're, we're watching is utterly appalling. Um, so if the chairman thinks that it's fair for us to, um, you know, take a big price increase for for touch such poor leadership of the club, he's yeah. It's, but also, it's I, I'd be interested to to know where they think the cap on this is and what the what the sort of the calculation they've done because it's sort of it's sort of everybody when they're buying a season ticket does the cost benefit, don't they? Okay, it's gone up another thirty quid, like Chris says. What do I get for that thirty pounds? Plus, you might be because it happened to my niece. It will happen to my niece next year. When you become 13, it goes from 15 quid to 85 quid. So if you go with it's not your 15 quid anymore, it's 20, 25. Yeah, but so so now, like my my little kids are now only 25 quid a season. But if if you if your 12 year olds become 13, it's now 85 quid a season. Plus you've got to find another 30 quid for your season ticket. At some point, people will stop buying them. And what's the tipping point at which it negatively affects attendance from season ticket holders? But also, are these increases going to go on general match day tickets? Are you going to price out the floating fan? You know, there could there, there's, there is a point in all of this at which you start making your income go down because you're too expensive. In in a and it's not fun. In, like no, it's not fun. It's not fun. You, it's it's, you, it's you're asking for people to part with their entertainment money, and there's lots of entertainment out there. There's there's much more to do than when I was a kid. You live in Shrewsbury, you could either go and watch the town or sit at home watch the telly. There's there's trampoline parks, there's swim centres, there's everything on offer for people nowadays with their kids or their families or just or just blokes on a Saturday afternoon. You could either go and pay thirty quid to go and watch the town, or you could spend twenty quid in the pub and watch the sports. Like they've got to be careful about what they're offering and what they're expecting people to pay for it. And I hope and they're I hope. Being sensitive to that. I hope the club have some idea. That's exactly right, Mike. I hope the club have an idea of the impact it's having because when they announce crowd figures at that stadium, quite often you'll see a crowd of about six to six and a half thousand for our games. But we all know that the crowd they're announcing is tickets sold, not people who've walked through the doors. So that's season ticket holders who've bought a ticket. They're not necessarily there. I've sat in that ground many times, looked around and thought, this place is not half full and I don't believe the attendance figure that's being given out. Now, I can't prove that, obviously, but I think it's fairly obvious when you look around sometimes that the actual number in the stadium is lower than the number of the attendance figure we're being given yeah. and at time and eventually some of those people who presumably bought a ticket or a season ticket but not turned up at some point they're not going to buy that season ticket because if they're not using it why would they renew it so it, the impact will get greater so they, they do have to be careful and I, I really hope that they know what the numbers that are actually coming through the door because whatever the difference between the the official attendance and the actual attendance those that's money that next year they might lose because those are the people who are potentially not coming back and then we get into a spiral because we've got less even less money to spend on the team unless we get um, a, a need a takeover which brings me nicely to the story I shared um, and there was a tweet from a former director which I have to say, when I first saw it, I was like, bugger, he's ruined my story. So um, so I held, I held on, as Chris Chris knows this, because I shared it with Chris, because I, I used his um, 
newspaper experience to help me write um, a few words. Um, and I, I kept on that story for the first story for months, didn't I, Chris? At least you six did. months or something like that. I held that story for six months um, when we shared it on the podcast. So the stories I'm sharing now are quite close to each other. But in reality, the original kind of like Nordic takeover potentially was months and months ago. And then um, in, in recent weeks, um, a group, um, a, Scand a Scandinavian consortium of who I'm told um, have very, very high um, net worth um, were interested in buying Truthy Town Football Club. Um, I've heard different versions of events of why it, it, it didn't work, didn't happen. Uh, and I hear that they're going to go and buy um, another League One team um, and invest heavily there. Um, and we don't know what happened in this deal and why it didn't work. Um, and I think it would be, um, I think it would be, naive and silly of us to try and guess but what you can say is what's that saying where you know a, 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 you know it happens so many times becomes a pattern and there's a pattern now mm. um, and it's happened over years so there was years and years ago there was stories of the greenhouse group trying to buy the club then what to that about four five three three years ago so there was the delves story in the shropshire star that delves with a consortium were trying to buy the club then we had the story months ago, which I shared. And we have had another one. And then Liam Doody says that two people are trying to buy the club. And I, I, I do now start to question when I hear that from the club. And it's nothing against Liam. Liam's only recently at the club. And to be fair to him, everything he said, he's, he's delivered on. And he seems to be a good bloke. And he's doing a good job as CEO. It's not about Liam at all. But how many times we heard about Shooter Town takeover and nothing to happen? And is this chairman serious about selling the club? I don't know. I think it's a fair question to ask, guys, when we've had this many failures. Yeah. And like you say, there's always rumour and speculation around somebody's going to make a bid, somebody's interested in the club. And, and we, we always have this complete information vacuum. We never really communicated with who the people are and what stage they're at. But, you know, that's Roland. He doesn't, he doesn't tell anybody anything, does he? Until it actually happens. But the comment about somebody with Shropshire values or local values, it, it it makes you end up with a very, very small pool of potential bidders. And I'm not aware of any Shrewsbury Town fans who are multi-millionaire, you know, consortia. I'm not Morris, Dells and yeah. yeah, Morris, Greenhouse, I don't know, maybe a couple of others, but yeah. But how many but how many of those have tried and failed or have been part of the board and have left for whatever reason? And, and that's and... a really interesting point I'm putting on the agenda. How many people have left the board? And there's rumors mm. of people leaving recently. And and that comes on to a um, a tweet um which yeah, everyone saw. Um James Hughes, and I'm led to believe it is James Hughes, he used to be on the board, tweeted and I quote no, because RW Roland Witchley turned down eleven point five million pounds from his sales and thirty million to be invested in the club, and that's apparently, and I hear that's quite highly likely that this is James Hughes who used to be on the board who left another man that's left the board over Roland Witchley's um, career as as Town chairman and owner, um, and yeah, Chris, here we go again with more rumours and more stories about Shrewsbury Town, and yeah, the time when the club is crying out for money someone is trying to buy the club and invest money in now love that double-edged sword we don't want to be reading we don't want to be berry so i do appreciate that you don't want to sell to good people but yeah it's i don't know i'm just a bit confused to be honest yeah i mean i'll, I'll be cautious because obviously we don't know the details of what's gone on and it's all well and good somebody claiming they're going to invest 30 million pounds but what are their motivations what are their reasons we don't know that so but it does 
I suppose, again, we all hear all these rumours and there's suggestions that uh, Roland Witchley would, would sell the club as long as he could remain on the board or re remain as club president. He seems to want to, to retain a presence, a presence at, the, at the club, even if he sells it. And not unreasonably, you'd imagine any potential buyer doesn't want the ghost of their predecessor literally stalking the corridors when they're trying to run their football club. So... I, I think Roland Witchley needs to accept that if he's going to sell the club, he needs to move on and, you know, enjoy his retirement and go and sit in the mm. sovereign suite as a supporter like the rest of us. But I, I, I just, I, I do, I would urge caution though. And, and just say, we, I, I would, the one thing I'll say with, about Roland Witchley is I don't think he'll sell us to a complete basket case. And I, I don't, what I don't, no. we, we don't want money for the sake of money. If that's going to lead to us being in all kinds of trouble, you know, we don't want Dai Yong buying our football club and us having what's happened at Reading, do we? So that you want caution, but you want, you want action because this has been going on for so long. We've heard rumors for years and years and years, and, and yet still we're nowhere to the point now that I, that announcement of two invest interested parties, I, I don't, I'm not sure I believe it. I, I, I well, I'm, I'm sure they're interested, but I don't believe Roland Witchley's going to sell to them. I, my instinct mm. right now is he'll be there until it, it I don't, you know, he's an eighty, he's an eighty-two, 82 year old man now. I think he, he'll be there until he can, until he passes away. Sadly, that's my, that that's my fear of of, of the situation where I just don't see him wanting to sell the football club or not being serious but, about it. But the thing, I think, there's all this talk of takeover. The timing of it is incredibly interesting because at the moment, if we don't invest or spend some money on this team, we're going to be a League Two club. Then Roland Witchley's asset that he owns and that he's, he's clearly trying to realise maximum value out of in a sale is worth a whole lot less because it's a League Two club. And if it's in a bit of a state and lots of work needs to be done on the, the, the team and the structure, it, you know, it's very interesting to, to know his sort of motivations for the sale now. If it is up for sale, as they say it is, is he selling to make the money? Is he selling to safeguard his beloved Shrewsbury Town? What, what's, you know, where's this coming from, I suppose, is the question. Because... He's he's not acting like somebody who's trying to get the best value for his for his big asset because he's in danger of the club getting relegated and potentially having much worse outcomes um, by sort of delaying and, and only dealing with people from Shropshire or with with a Shrewsbury sort of sense of mind, if you will. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting one, and I think there's sort of a window where he can where he can do himself a good deal. Um, but if if nothing happens this season, I think he could be selling a League Two club. It's a bit of a weird one. But um, I just, yeah, like you say, is it better the devil you know? But a lot of his, a lot of his decisions he's made on managers and structures and things in the sort of recent history, sort of post Hurst, they're not been great. You know, we've not been. No. Uh, you know, he, and the good managers we have, there's a, a lot, a lot of love for Cottrell. I was going to say, he alienated he spent, him. He spent 25 years looking for Steve Cottrell and, and fell out with him. So you know, I don't know. It, he seems, it, it seems like an odd place to be at the moment. And the thing we've got it's uh, January twenty first today. Um, accounts should be due thirty first of March, and that's going to be quite interesting. I think we'll probably do a special pod um, about the accounts. Um, hopefully, we can get some answers there. Um, but yeah, um, any final thoughts? I have one. Any final thoughts, gents? I was going to say on, a, on, a, on accounts, you hear that Roland and Douglas Montgomery is that that's the name are personally funding the club now. So we are Duncan. making. Yeah. Duncan, is it? Yeah. We're making losses week on week, month on month, which they are funding out of their personal finances. Well, yeah. So, again, if, if, if he's just costing himself money if he's not selling the club as well. because It doesn't make any sense, sudden, does it? 
Yeah, it's not going to start making money next week. Nothing's going to turn. And around. it's a strange thing to yeah. do. Say, hey, this is a football club that's for sale, and by the way, we've got no money, and we're in, and we're in mm. debt, and we're screwed. Like, and is he it's taking, not really for, those, for that investor? Is he taking share issue, which means he's harder to get out? There's loads of com- like it, it's way above my pay grade. The business behind all of this, but it just seems really messy and a really really odd time to try and do it as well when we're so unstable on the football side and off the football field as well. It's it's. Um, yeah, it's probably why I don't work in high finance, I suppose. Yeah, I'll stick with the NHS instead. <laughs> but yeah, that's my final thought. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I'll give you one final thought as well, Ollie. I'm going to try and be... I always try to find something positive to say. So we have this season not once been in the relegation zone. We're, we're making a change now. We currently sit 19th in League One. It's as low as we've been all season, I think. There's no reason why a coach shouldn't come in and keep this football club in League One. We have we should be a League One football club next season if we get the appointment right. I, you're all shaking your heads at me. I believe I believe this you know what's going to happen now, don't one. you? We're going to get relegated, f- and it's all my fault. We're going to get relegated, and we're going to be in the relegation zone just on the last game of the season. <laughs> but there's, I believe there's enough in that squad to keep us in League One. I think there we is as the well, point, but and I, we just need to get the right man to get the best out of them, and then hopefully in the summer put this disastrous season behind us and and, and, and hopefully kick on but yeah so, I, so assuming, it's not all doom and gloom that's what i'm saying there has to be some hope and i i still yeah. feel some hope i i struggle with hope for shrewsby at the moment um i'm gonna leave it on a bit of a on a bit of a silly one um so if mickey moore is still the director of football um it'd be really interesting to see what what knitwear he wears in the press conference um, on the day so there's yeah, there's a little bit of an undercurrent of a chat about his knitwear. So it'd be interesting to see what he'll go for. So yeah, it's been a long podcast. Um, thanks for sticking with us. Um, yeah, I guess if you want to listen to us, I don't know, is, are we more entertaining than the football? I don't know. Um, but yeah, we'll be back again in a few weeks' time. Maybe we'll do an emergency podcast. Um, who knows when the head coach or manager arrives, or who knows yeah. what might happen. We could it's be back later time. this week. We might be back tomorrow. Um, but yeah, yes. thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate your listens, appreciate your comments. Um, and yeah, we'll be back again soon. Times have changed. That's Nolan. It's special from John Nolan. Shrewsbury Town, the team who've stood tall amongst giants in League One this season, are making their presence felt again. And their star man, John Nolan, has scored a beauty. <laughs>